0: Good morning. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5, and once you have found it, I ask that you would please stand and honor the reading of God's Word as we look at these first five verses this morning of 1 John chapter 5. Follow along with me as I read. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. our faith, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to your word with the promise that as we would meditate on it and delight in it, as we would study it, you would reveal yourself to us through it, that we might know you more. Father, I am simply a man. I don't have the ability, Father, to speak on this text in in a way that is, that will do the text justice for all the, the wonder that is there. And yet I ask, Father, that you would use me and that there would be clear understanding of for all of us on this passage, that we might be changed by it, that our hearts might be lifted up, that our hearts might be enthralled with what you have done for us and who you are. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen. Please take a seat. John has written much on the topic of love already, And here we find ourselves at the end of this book. We're beginning the last chapter in 1 John, 1 John 5. And most of all of chapter 3 has been on the topic of love. And there's been a, a blip there, if you remember, six verses, the top of chapter 4, that was on testing the spirits. And then you took verse 7 of chapter 4 all the way to the end, and that was on love as well. John's style of writing is very much in a circular pattern Well, he'll take something and he'll come back to it down the road and it would appear that he has done that here look with me at chapter 4 verse 7 beloved let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Well, that, that looks awfully familiar to chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone, loves the fa- everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commands us. Well, that looks a lot like verse 2 and 3 of chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Well, there is, there is repetition here to some degree, but in many ways I feel like this five verses of 1 John 5 is the pinnacle, is the culmination is the top of all of John's teaching on love. Because it's really for the first time that John gives us clear instruction on how our love for God relates or even dictates our love for one another. His main goal is still that we would be assured of our salvation. It's been his main goal through this entire book that you may know, that you may know, that you may know. Well, this is another way for us to know But it's hard in our day and age to really get a firm grasp on the definition of love, how to define it. If you were to stop someone on the street and ask five different people what their definition or defining terms of love would be, you'd probably get five different answers. And if you ask them what love is not, you'd probably give it even more information. Nat King Cole didn't help us very much. L is for the way you look at me, O is for the only one I see, V is very, very extraordinary. I've always liked the word V as well, the, the letter V. Apparently it's very extraordinary. And E is even more than anyone that you can adore can. Wait a minute. Is E is even more than anyone that you adore can. That that helps. Others would describe love as a feeling or an emotion. Still others would say that love can't be defined, it's only felt. We've heard more in the news lately about how love wins as it pertains to the homosexual agenda. But we know love is important. It's, it's very clear from Scripture about, with the amount of weight that's put upon this topic that love is very, very important. But what does it look like and is it just a feeling? And is it free and unrestrained? So, we're going to take two weeks to look at this passage. Two weeks to look at these five verses and help us gain a a biblical understanding of love. Today, I want to look at our love for God and God's love for us. And next week, we're going to take a look at how our love for God defines and impacts our love for others. I believe that John's aim in these five verses is to declare to the believer, which would be you and which would be me. That the God of love provides you by His grace with the motivation and means to love Him and love others. Let me say that again. John's aim is to declare to the believer, declare to the believer that the God of love provides for you with the motivation and means to love Him and love others. Or another way to put it would be that errant or innate or natural now to your new nature in Christ is the ability to prove our love or to prove our faith in love. If, you, if you're taking notes, I've got three questions we're going to be answering this morning that will help us organize our thoughts a little bit. Question one is, how are we saved? What does this passage say? Number two... How do we know God? Three, how do we do this work? One, how do, are we saved? Two, how do we know God? And three, how do we do this work? Let's look at number one. How are we saved? Do you see that in verse one of chapter five here, First John? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. You see it as well in verse 5 of this passage. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We talked on Wednesday night this past week about ordo salutis, the order of salvation as prescribed in Scripture. And it's not just one thing, it's actually a, a culmination of events that takes place. We're elected, we're predestined, there's a call, the gospel is spoken, whether outwardly, most of the time, but inwardly as well. We're then regenerated, we're made new, we, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and here is where God makes us alive. And then we respond to that grace being made alive in faith, then through repentance and then there's justification and then there's sanctification. It just goes on down the line. And he says here that everyone who believes or everyone who has faith that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Well, we know that faith in itself does not save us. But it's the method that God has given us by which we respond to Christ's call to repent and find the grace to live. He's made us alive And when we're alive, we recognize our need, we respond in faith, we respond in faith by repentance, and we're justified. That's how we are saved. We're not saved by our own works. We're not saved even by our own faith. We know according to Ephesians 2, it's by grace alone, by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. But even that faith is not something that we could conjure up ourselves. It's something that is the work of God within us that then responds to his grace of life, of love. You notice verse one here. Who has been born of God, that second birth, the spiritual new life. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Notice that that love is now innate, is now natural to your newborn state. You're born again in Christ through the work of him, but now that love is natural. You don't have to teach a newborn to love his parents, nor do you have to teach a new believer, a true believer, to love his father. It's natural but you do have to teach a newborn how to love his parents you speak this way you obey that way you respond this way and you do have to in like manner teach a new believer whose natural desire is a love for god how to how to love god That's why it says in the Great Commission, go ye into all the world, making disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That's the way you love God. And unless a new believer is discipled and taught, they're not going to know how to love the Father. They have that love, but they're not going to know how to love the Father. We're saved through the glorious grace of Jesus Christ alone. The glorious grace of God through the work of Christ upon the cross we are born again by no work of ours. But how do we know God? That takes us to the second point. How how do we love the Father? How do we know God? When you're saved, you come become part of the kingdom of God. In your deadness in your sin you are part of the kingdom of darkness you are part of the the kingdom of satan but you're granted by the work of christ being born again you're granted entrance into the kingdom of light out of the kingdom of darkness and when you're dead in your sin you operate under the rules of your kingdom the kingdom of darkness and there's really only one rule in the kingdom of darkness which is do whatever you want to do. And not only that, it's do whatever you want to do and whatever you do is right because it's what you want to do. There's really not even any work or difficulty in the kingdom of darkness because it's natural for you to do whatever you want to do. There's no really right or wrong. It's based upon whatever you want to do. And we still battle that, don't we, in our hearts, even as redeemed, even as those who have been saved, even those who have been born again, we still battle that. I can look at that woman. The marriage has been difficult lately. I can respond wrongly to my dad. He's been getting angry with the family lately. My boss plays favorites, therefore it's okay if I talk about him realistically behind his back to others. And we see this lie all around us in the world today. It's all right for me as a man to marry another man because it's what I want to do. It's all right for a woman to marry another woman because it's all right for if that's what they want to do. It's okay to use to have an abortion or use birth control or because it's what you want to do. See, that's that's the that's the lie of the kingdom of darkness, and that's the rule: do what you want to do. Whatever it is, it's okay. It's right because it's what you want to do. And incidentally, if we define love without Christ, no matter the intentions of those who don't have Christ to define love without Him, it's still based on whatever you or they want to do. It has no boundaries or limits, it has no constraints. We can't and won't limit anyone from doing something wrong because our ground for love is based upon what I want to do. And when we define love as allowing others to do what they want and me to do what I want, and the only connection between what they want to do and what I want to do is acceptance of a universal definition that you can do what you want to do and I'm going to do what I want to do, that isn't love at all for one another, that's actually hate. Hate says die. And love says live. And here's how: love says no. Love says act this way. Love says that way is wrong. Love says this way is right. Love says see who God is. See who you are as a sinner. In right, it would be right as you as a sinner to to have the full measure of wrath upon you, the wrath of God, that you would then die as a payment for your sins. But love says, go to Christ and in him find the grace and love to not only find forgiveness, but then the means and the motivation, the ability, the escape, the freedom from the bondage of sin. But when the gracious light of Christ shines upon you, bringing you as Lazarus from deadness into life, you move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that's when something happens that we find very difficult. Because we just came out of a kingdom of darkness where it says, I can do what I want to do, but now we've been brought into a kingdom of light. Where that's not the rule anymore, and that's where the rub comes into play. We're no longer able to make our own rules. He does. He does. God does. In fact, He requires that if we truly are in the kingdom of light, we have to operate by a certain set of standards. That we must obey the commands set forth in this new kingdom that we are now a part of. That there is conduct that must be followed. And that's very difficult for us because we've come out of this line of thinking where I can do whatever I want to do, but now all of a sudden I can't do that anymore. I've got to do what you want me to do? Oh, well, this is difficult. God's love demands action upon our part. Demands action upon our part. And that's where this gets difficult. Because if we are not careful... We can fool ourselves into thinking that doing the work, following the commands, loving the law of this new kingdom is now how I relate to God. That's false. That's not how you relate to God. You relate to God through the work of Christ our relationship with God is not based upon those things because we could never do them perfectly. It's based on the work of Christ. But then if we're not careful, we try to separate the law, commands, doing, work, obligation from the gospel, grace, peace, love, Good news, comfort, freedom, all over here in the gospel, requirements, commands, work over here in the law. We try to separate them out and divide them. And not that we would be antinomian, meaning we would be against the law. But in our desire, follow me, in our desire to not want to be moralistic, not want to be legalistic, we concentrate too much over here. It's it's sort of the right ditch, left ditch thing. You follow? We swing over here, going. I, I don't want to be moralistic and legalistic, which is wrong, but neither is it right to be that there's. We swing so far over here, become anti-law. It's not that we're trying to be, but we had to be very careful with these things. In our desire to focus on God's grace by the work of Christ, we can do so to the peril of excluding the necessity of the gospel, the commands of the gospel, the law of the gospel. And it's a constant fight because I don't want to work because, remember, I came out of the kingdom where I could do what I want to do. But at the same time, my heart now says, but I've got to have something that makes me worthy of this gospel so I do want to work and it's this constant wrestling of how do these things, two things relate and do they even relate at all in this gospel of Jesus Christ in our minds it can seem as if it's oil and water but scripture says actually that they're so intertwined you cannot separate them go with me in your bible to psalm 119 let's look at some scriptures to help us better see how these two things fit together Because we see here in 1 John 5, this, this command, not only are we we're saved being born of God, but then there's, God, there's that action, there's that work, obeying the commands. Psalm 119, and we're going to flip through quickly through a couple of scriptures within this passage. Follow along with me. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Notice what David says, or the psalmist here, we believe it's David. For I delight in it. 47. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. 93 I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. 97 Oh how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 131 I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Romans 7:22 says for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Paul says this So what do we see from those passages? Well, the the main point that we see is that it is very clear that the redeemed heart loves the things of God, loves the commands of God. Why? Well, one reason would be is because this is where you obtain the knowledge of God. Our love is limited by knowledge. That's why the more you know about a person in marriage, in the pursuit of marriage, the more you love them. See, knowledge leads to intimacy. Knowledge leads to closeness. So if you see a person and you don't know their name, there's only so much connection there. You know their name, now there's more connection. That's one of the reasons why those that are fighting for life in the womb oftentimes will want to put a name to a child because there's, there's a closer bond there of intimacy. There's more knowledge. So the love is greater. And, and that's one of the reasons why we would say love as a foundation alone is baseless for any marriage because there's no knowing. You, you need to know that person in order for the love to continue to grow. At the same thing, that is why we will be able to worship the God of gods and the Lord of lords for eternity in heaven and never grow weary because he's infinite and we will never fully know him. We'll never reach a limit where we'll go, I don't know anything more. My love can't grow anymore. No, that will never be the case. We'll continually know him and that love will go deeper and deeper and deeper because the knowing will never end. The redeemed sees God's commands as a grace because that outlines how we know him. That outlines his character. We look in the New Testament or we look in the Old Testament and we see God hates sin. So we see he's just. We see that he is jealous for the affections of us, me. We can go throughout all the scripture and see the commands. We see the command to repent. Why? Because he doesn't want us to pursue other gods. Why? Because his love shows that he alone is worthy of worship. Those commands of scripture, the redeemed heart loves because it's a way, it's a grace and that we can then see how we should act and walk and do to live out our lives in obedience to him. And, and we we see that grace as, seeing the command to obey as a grace. Because you see there in 1 John 5, go back with me there, there's a very important little word. I want you to see it. 1 John 5, once again. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, notice the little word, and, very important, and obey his commands. Because love without obedience is not love at all. I love my parents. A nine-year-old might say that. I love my parents. I don't want to do what they say. I don't want to eat what they want me to eat. I don't want to wear what they want me to wear. That's not love at all. Love without obedience is not love at all. So if we say we love Christ and yet do not obey the commands of Scripture, our proclaimed love is really null and void. It's baseless. Our love is proven by our actions and that alone is a grace. The ability to obey the commands of God is a grace because God's provided the means and the motivation to love Him and love others through His commands. I want to show us I want to, I want to show you two ways one in first john 5 here and then one in deuteronomy 5 how the commands or the law the works this one side over here as compared to what we call the gospel or grace or the good news over here actually cannot be separated from the gospel they're they're joined at the hip and you can't take them apart I want to show you uh, two places Let's go to Deuteronomy 5. You would know this as the passage where the Israel uh, the nation of Israel is given the 10 commandments. And so The tendency in our mind is to see, well, this is the left side, right? This is the, for you guys looking at me, this is the right side. This is the, this is the the law works command side. And we've got 10 of them. But what I want to show you first is that this side over here says grace comes first. This side over here says the good news comes first. And what I want to show you is that's true in De- Deuteronomy 5 as much as it's true in the New Testament. You see the commands very clearly, right? 7 through 21. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. And on and on. But the gospel over here, so that, if that's worked, the gospel over here, we would say, well, there's grace and then there's commands and then if we obey them, there's that promise because the commands and the promises in Scripture are always tied together. But look with me here. Look at the grace that comes first. Deuteronomy 5, verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That is grace poured out in abundance. I chose you before the foundation of the world. My nation Israel I am your God. I brought you out. I brought you out of slavery. There's grace. Because it's not as if they're doing these 10 commands in order for them to get God. No, they already have God. Now they have the commands. And here's the promise. Look with me at the promise. Verse 33. Deuteronomy 5:33. You shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. There's a promise. So let's go over to 1 John 5. Do we see that as well? 1 John 5 again. Well, you see the command, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So we see the strong command, but we see the gospel in this, right? We see we can't keep his command unless we first have his grace, which you see in verse 1. Being born of God by the work of Christ, And then you see the promise. The promise is verse uh, four and five. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The commands for the redeemed are, are burdensome when done without the promise of love of the Father. Hear me clearly. The commands are burdensome when done without the promise of the Father. The commands are burdensome if that's the only way to Christ, the only way to God. But the commands are not burdensome to the redeemed because it is the commands of Scripture that they find the grace to live righteously. It is the commands of Scripture that they find the character of God. It is in the commands of Scripture that they see the necessity of Christ and therefore rejoice in Christ working in them. It is in the commands of Scripture that they see the equipping to overcome the world by faith. But wait a minute. I thought this gospel was about love. That doesn't sound like love. That sounds like doing something, something else on, on top of already what I'm doing. I can't do anymore. What about grace? What about what about feelings? Where are the feelings here? This doesn't seem very emotional. What about What about when I don't have a feeling? I don't have a desire to obey. I don't don't feel like doing that right now. How do we do this work, number three? How do we do this work? Last question. All those questions of what about love? What about grace? What about feelings? Those are good and legitimate questions and scripture gives the answer to them. And we find the answer... In verse 4 of this passage, 1 John 5, 4, the Christian does this work. He follows the commands. He loves the law as an outworking of faith. Faith without works is dead. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith responds to the work of grace upon our life by obeying and loving the commands of Scripture as realizing that he was loving enough, God was loving enough to provide us with a way to live in response to his love. The Christian saved by grace does the work not out of fear. We saw that in First John 4.18, look over there with me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We don't do these things out of compulsion. That if I don't do these things, there's going to be a punishment. Because that's not love at all. When you you ask a child to do something and he does it out of fear of punishment, that's not love at all. That's fear. But when that same child does whatever you're asking him to out of faith that the promises of doing the right thing will be intact, that is love. Not that he's fearing of punishment, but that he knows if I do these things, there's promises here. That's love. And yet, then the question will be, I can't do any more, but though we think for a minute that the gospel comes with a requirement, let's not think that the requirement is for us alone. God's love demanded action not just on us alone the requirement of being the commands which is which is there are many but love for god was perfectly modeled for us by christ because we could never do that perfectly god's love demanded perfect action and christ did that work in us because our action he knew would be imperfect we love first John four nineteen because he first loved us, or you could say it another way, our love has action because his first had action. Christ's love for his Father was exemplified in action to the point of death, even death upon a cross. He's modeled for us love and action, obedience to his father's commands, knowing that his work of grace and love on the cross for our sins would require action that we could never do perfectly. And therefore he did it perfectly for us. He obeyed the commands perfectly so that we would not be judged for not obeying them perfectly. But he also obeyed them perfectly that we would have an example to follow. And that's a, a massive dump truck load of grace, that we have an example of how to do this Christian life. So what then would be our response as, a, as Christians, as new believers, or as mature believers? How do we respond to this command of, of loving God by doing His commandments, by keeping His commandments? Well, we we plunge into Scripture to learn His commandments. We plunge into Scripture to see that we're commanded to repent, to obey, to love, to confess, to keep ourselves from idols, to guard our tongue. We do it not under fear of punishment, but we do it... Knowing that our righteousness once and for all is justified by the perfect, obedient action, work of Christ. Knowing that our obedience to his commands are not going to bring about any more justification, but that our obedience to commit his commands will help us to accomplish, Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because as we obey his commands, we, we gain, we achieve a a righteousness not a justification righteousness that we could not do but we become more right we become more like Christ and we do this work by faith through the grace of Christ having first done it for us so that we would not be required to do it perfectly we we respond to those commands in faith even when we don't feel like it because we, we love him enough to do what he's commanded in his kingdom versus what we used to do in our old kingdom, which is whatever we wanted us to do. We respond in faith when that feeling isn't there, knowing that as we do it, the promises are there. The emotions will come. We are able, we have the ability, we have the means and motivation to obey the commands of Scripture because of his work for us. And look at the promise in closing here, First John 5. The promise that waits is really unfathomable. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That promise is that we will be with Him forever. We will, by His work, overcome the world. Because He first came, sent His Son, Christ, to overcome it. He overcame death. He conquered sin and death. And because he did so, we will be able to overcome the fleshly tendencies that says, I don't want to obey the commands. He conquered sin and death, and as we live out our lives in faith that he is Lord, that he is righteous, that his way is holy, we will not only walk in communion with him, we will experience one day fully the joy of overcoming. Such a joy that it was, it was the joy set before him that gave him the ability to endure the cross, to despise the shame. That joy is what one day we as Christians will experience that joy unspeakable, full of glory, as we would live out our lives in faith, in love, in obedience to his commands as a love relationship to him. Not because we do this because we're able to do it perfectly or as a means of relationship with God. That alone is through Christ. But this is the, this is the, this is the ability, this is the grace to prove, to show to the world of our love The Christian life is not just one of head or heart, but also of action with our hands. There's action implied. And when we see that evident grace in our lives, that that action is accompanying the head and the heart, we can be assured of his work in us. That's John's goal, his assurance. You may know you are a Christian when you see these things, because they do not come unless you are first born these are innate now these are natural now to your newness to your new life to being born again and so you can look on your life and say i'm not doing it perfectly but oh thank you christ for doing it perfectly for me but i see you working in me for your glory and i rejoice in that I rejoice in that, and I am assured to know that on that day I will not stand before you and say, I did it. I will stand before you and said, I didn't do it, but you did it perfectly for me. And I claim that alone is my merit. That is the good news that we must proclaim to our hearts and to those that are around us, is the work is done by Christ. He set the example for us, but he's given us the grace through his commands to now show the world and show him in loving relationship. Every relationship that is loving has action. This is our action, is to obey the commands that he set forth for us. Next week, we will look at how that love for God will dictate and drive our relationship with others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we We see your grace and love for us in this passage. And yet, Father, I know in my heart that there's still the difficulty of drifting toward grace by itself without any work or the gospel by itself without any action or all the way to the other side where I just work as my means of relationship with you and both are wrong. So help us, Father, as we would study your word and grow in our understanding of you to realize the the bond that is inseparable between these two, this this good news, but that this good news as we are now in this new kingdom has a new set of commands. There's a, a new ruler. It's not ourselves. It's not the... the prince of the power of the air it's not Satan it's the king of kings and lord of lords and it's under your command that we desire to be and follow your ways so may we may we work out our salvation knowing that our salvation is sure in the work of Christ and yet seeing that work as now necessary because of the work of Christ. Help us, Father, to understand these things. They're difficult. And Father, over the last 30 or so minutes, we've, we've scratched the surface for what has been hundreds of years of debate on these topics. But help us, Lord, to see these things in Scripture, to make application to them in our lives, to love your word, to see your command to us to repent of sin, to to love, to do all that you've shown us to do as as a means as a wonderful means of grace. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for your kindness to us and your allowing us to be here this day. May we be bold to share this good news of what Christ has done. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.